For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey y'all, this is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. What's up, everyone? Thanks for joining us on a special episode of Half Street High Heat. We're now joined by Sam Dykstra, reporter for MLB Pipeline and covering minor league baseball. You guys can give him a follow on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B, and head on over to MLB Pipeline's website and MILB.com to keep up with all of Sam's latest pieces and all recent news. Sam, how you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. Good, good. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. No, baseball is finally back. Prospects in college has been going on for a while, but it's been some recent news with the Nationals farm system. So we figure we kind of dive right in on that. And one of the biggest points of emphasis for this team over the offseason was redoing, well, basically beginning their analytics program. Um, what type of impact could we expect to see that the Nats going all of a sudden heavy on their analytics program have on their prospects? Yeah, that was the fascinating thing. I was I was down there uh, just last week uh, down in West Palm Beach and, you know, seeing some people who have been around Nats camp for a while. No, nobody with the organization, but like fellow reporters who were just looking kind of aghast at the fact that they were setting up track name at Nats camp. Like apparently that was never really done before. It's, it's pretty commonplace around baseball now to see these big black boxes in bullpen sessions in hitting sessions trying to track all this data. Uh, and the Nats are really trying to you know, go full bore into that at every level. Um, speaking to members of the organization, what they're trying to learn right now is go, going beyond just scouting reports, right? I mean, that's the whole point of data is to go beyond what you can see with your eyes and learn more about their players. What is working for them? What isn't? The example that was given to me is, are you a pitcher who works better north, south, east, or east, west? It's one thing for the pitcher to say that, but if we have data to back it up saying, hey, your curveball works really well. It's much better than your slider. We're going to go much harder on that going forward. Hopefully that's going to help these guys make breakouts and go further. Because if you look at the Nats system right now, you know, last year's trades helped bulk it up, but they kind of need those internal developments. They need some of these guys to start breaking out, become better players, maybe even different players in some ways. Um, And leaning on technology is is a big tool now in their shed to help accomplish that. 
Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's fascinating that, you know, you mentioned TrackMan specifically and a little background on me. I'm a a high school coach and I've, uh, you know, participated in pitching clinics where I see TrackMan and in high school. So it's like the Nats are obviously, you know, a professional organization. So it's kind of crazy to think they're just now, you know, adopting that that technology to use in their analytics department, but better late than ever, obviously Uh, with analytics as a whole, do you think there's going to be some sort of trickle down effect? Like, like I just mentioned, obviously it's in high school and whatnot, but are teams going to start, you know, prioritize, let me back up. I'll give you an example. If they're between two prospects and one of them has that analytics background, could you see that being, you know, a deciding factor on who to draft or maybe who to target if they have a more analytics background? Is that where we're heading? Um, I don't necessarily think so. I think what a lot of teams kind of love doing is that these are player development systems, right? Like they want to find something within you and build it out of you. If I think that a lot of drafting right now is still based on tools and yeah, you might use some other things to, to keep track of that, but I'll give you an example. Um, having a conversation with somebody about TJ white in the national system and mm-hmm. looking at him, he's a big power slugger. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if his exit velos are popping off, but power is the big thing for him and talking about like, so what excites you most about him? It's like, honestly, we get to mold him. Now. We get to be the one that develops him further. Um, so the idea of, Hey, if they know a little bit about analytics, that's going to get us more excited. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. I think if they don't have that analytics background, but all the tools are there, a team like the Nats will see that as a learning opportunity, a development opportunity. And that's part of their jobs is to take those guys and to make them not necessarily more analytically inclined, but give them a little bit more information to work off. Um, Talking about the Nationals foreign system as a whole, the last several years, with lack of a better word, the foreign system hasn't been good. They were extremely active at the trade deadline selling off a lot of guys. And then that seemed to put a focus on close to MLB ready prospects. We were seeing a couple of guys that we'll talk about later in the show with Josiah Gray and Kiber Ruiz graduate out of the prospect list. But do you think the nationals beginning to overturn their farm system? Is that any good spot to support a full rebuild or are they going to be in a spot where this is going to take a long time if they're going to fully rely on the farm system? Yeah, I mean, this is a classic rebuild versus retool situation. I think you bringing up Ruiz and Gray are, are two great examples. And, and you look at some of the other guys they brought in, Riley Adams, um, you know, Patrick Murphy, guys who are major league ready. I don't think the Nats, as an organization, want to swallow a pill that's going to be, hey, we're going to be bad for three years, especially when Juan Soto's on the roster. Um, and, and they want to resign him. They want to bring him in or keep him in town. Uh, for long term, it's not going to be you're not going to be able to say like, hey, don't worry, we got all these low level guys who are going to be big stars in two, three years. That's just really a really tough sell, especially coming off all the success they've had World Series title. You know, talking about why this farm system was bad before that. That's a big reason why. I mean, this team was good. They did not have high draft picks for a very long time. And it's tough to get those really high ceiling types if you're drafting at the back of the first round year in and year out. And Every round subsequently after that, you're going to have a small bonus pool to sign guys. Um, so I think prioritizing those guys high up, those guys who were ready, kind of put them in a position to say like, hey, maybe this is only a one-year thing. Ruiz could be their starting catcher right away. He could be a star pretty quickly. Josiah Gray has the ceiling to be a, a pretty stable number three. 
Cade Cavalli's already knocking on the door. He has a higher ceiling than Gray does. This could be a team that's right there in contention this time next year if some of those guys they got that were super close at the deadline last year hit the way they should. Um, but it could also come crashing down pretty quick because, like, like you're saying, like if you prioritize Major League Ready, okay, that's great. But if all those guys end up being backups, then you know they're right back in the cellar uh, going into t- 2023 and beyond. Um, so it's kind of fascinating to see how that works. I think the expanded postseason could kind of help the Nets this year. We were joking before the show began of I'm sure Nelson Cruz is just taking up a lot of oxygen in, in Nats circles right now. But that type of move, who knows, that might get them to like 85 wins if all these other pieces click. And that's like on the outside of a, of a playoff spot. And then you look at that next level of Cavalli being ready, Rutledge being close, Carrillo being close, Adon already having major league experience. The pieces are there to kind of supplement the major league roster, not necessarily fully transform it, but supplement it in an interesting way. Like you mentioned 85 wins and that's, I mean, we can go on about the, the prospect of 85 wins. That might be a pipe dream. <laughs> right. right. No, now. sure. I, I, I kind of throw <laughs> no, it out there I, as I like, it's saying. within the realm of possibility. Right. I mean, right. we're talking about three games above 500 making the playoffs, which is just the world we live in now. Right. Um, Yo, yeah. But, that is you know, yeah. Soto goes off. Nelson Cruz is Nelson Cruz. Like I said, Ruiz becomes a star pretty quick, which I think he could. Um, it, it's possible. anyway. Yeah. You talked about some of, you know, the major league ready or close to major league ready guys. And uh, I wanted to know your thoughts on the draft. And like, if you go back to last year, obviously they take Brady house, who's a high school bat. And I'm glad they did. That seemed to be a pretty revered pick amongst Nats Twitter and the, the fan base and whatnot. But now you're the Nats. You don't have, you know, Trey Turner and Max Scherzer to trade at the deadline anymore. You don't have two top 15 guys to trade for a bunch of prospects and you're certainly not going to trade Juan Soto and who knows what kind of impact guys you might get for these other, other deals like Nelson Cruz, potentially does that swing the Nats towards say a college bat or a college arm in, in the draft? Or are you just going for, you know, highest ceiling upside there to try to, you know, rebuild your farm system? Yeah, I mean, as things stand right now, the Nats would have the number five pick in the draft. I think that's locked in. I, I should say that. So a top five pick, I'm going to always say what I would if I was a scouting director. And Lord knows I'm not. But, like, you should take the best talent available to you, regardless of where you are uh, in, in terms of rebuild, in terms of being majorly ready, whatever. Uh, taking a house, I don't think, should affect the way they draft this year. You look at what the draft is in 2022, it, it certainly – heavier on high school bats. Um, it's not very heavy on college arms. So I think we can probably cross that out. I, I really don't see a case in which a college arm jumps into the top five. Maybe you get to a, a point where we're debating Jacob Berry and Brooks Lee mm-hmm. at five. Um, but if anybody in that, like Tamar Johnson, Drew Jones, Elijah Green group somehow slips through there, uh, I think the Nats would be all over that. It's far from a guarantee at this point, but I think it, if they do take a college bat, which is kind of that next year of draft prospect, if you are looking at five and you're looking beyond those three uh, prep bats, it's just because the quality of player is best there. It, it like the when you look at who is best, it's a group of high school hitters, and then a pretty big chunk of high school or college hitters, then some high school pitchers. Um, I don't think that's going to affect like what they did in previous drafts or 
looking at it that way or how quickly can this guy get to D.C.? It's going to be who is the best player we can take because we don't want to look back on this draft and say, hey, we took this guy because we thought it would be quick, but we actually overlooked the guy with a higher ceiling who could have been a franchise player for us. One of the other important things in the rebuild is nailing your international signings. Um, the last couple of years, Nats have swung and landed some big, highly ranked international signings. This year, they got uh, Vaquero, but it's a little too soon to talk about him. Another one, which was signed to a record signing at the time, was Armando Cruz. A lot of people are talking about him. I believe he was ninth on the Nats' top 30 prospects. He's someone who I think is rather interesting. He's rather athletic, but the offense hasn't really been there for him. What do you think Like a guy like him, his ceiling is and the role that he could potentially have with the Nats ending this rebuild? Yeah, I mean, the thing I come back to with Cruz is whoever you are picturing as like a really, really special uh, defensive catcher, but somebody who is questionable with the bat, that's essentially who Armando Cruz is going to be. Somebody like an Andrewton Simmons or a Jose Iglesias. Like those are the ones that kind of pop in my mind. Guys who we've been talking about for years with gold glove potential, but they're not carrying their weight with the bat. Um, they can be a little bit better than that, uh, especially Simmons. But like Iglesias for years didn't quite crack the majors or had trouble sticking in places um, because he couldn't hit as much. Cruz right now, it's too early to tell. Like, it, I know in the DSL last year, he didn't do great. He was a 17-year-old seeing pro ball for the first time. I don't try to look too much into DL, DSL statistics unless something really, really pops and somebody can say, hey, this is why this guy did significantly better or here's why he did significantly worse. Armando Cruz, we thought at best he's going to be an average bat. He's not going to have much power. That's essentially what he showed in the DSL. Um, I saw his defense down in West Palm when I was down there. It's just as good as all the reports we were getting uh, when he signed internationally. So that part is there. And when you have the athleticism that he does, you feel a little bit better betting on the bat because he can do a lot of things that others can't. He's flexible. He's quick. He's athletic. Like that, that will translate to the plate much better than somebody who's you know a big first baseman. And you're like, oh, he needs to hit. He might eventually. Well, it's like if he's slow now, he's not going to get any faster. Um, Cruz is fast now. The hands work really well. Um, I, I think he could be an average bat in time. If you're hoping he's going to be your leadoff hitter or your number two hitter or somebody in the heart of a lineup, I don't see that happening. But if he ends up being like a 100 WRC plus guy, even 105 with a glove, that's going to be a lot of value. Uh, and it's probably going to be enough to be a potential first division starter. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone would be rather happy with that, especially since it hasn't been a lot of average guys even coming out of this farm system the last couple of years. But another interesting prospect is Jackson Rutledge. He was a first round pick. He's been dealing with some injuries and a lot of inconsistency. He's 23 and he's only in, I believe, low A right now. Do we think that like Rutledge can still pan out to be a starter or is it time for the Nationals to focus that switch and realize he's going to be best as a reliever? I think if we're looking at what we would predict for 2022, I think this is going to be the make or break year for him as a starter. Um, you know, in conversations I've had, it, one thing they want to do with him is just getting him consistent and trying to work on all his pitches. And if you're throwing him into relief, like now, that doesn't happen. He just needs to be a two, two pitch guy. He can work on the fastball and slider and that's it. And, um, you know, that'll be it. He needs to focus on the control. He needs to, you know, develop a little bit better of a curveball or a changeup. Either one, both can be average, but 
um, maybe get one of those two to be on the level of the slider and fastball. That's only going to happen with innings and putting him in a relief role, capping him at 70 innings this year, isn't going to get what he needs. Now, like you said, this is his age 23 season. So if we're still having the same conversation by year's end and that curveball or change hasn't caught up to the slider, or he's not throwing strikes at a, uh, at a good level or, you know, injuries continue to pile up. Like you mentioned, um, has happened for him since he was drafted in 2019. Then I think you have to have the relief discussion with him. Cause I don't know if you guys saw the Arizona fall league championship game last year. Uh, there are some pretty good pitchers in the AFL last year. Rutledge, when he was on, it was as good swing and miss stuff as anybody going in the fall league, which is obviously prospect packed. Um, I think he could work in relief right now in the majors if they wanted that just get them up there use the fastball dial it up to the upper 90s work on the slider um, getting right handers to dive at it as it you know goes arm side I'm a little concerned about the shorter arm action on him and how that's going to hold up over a full season but I think you have to give him one more shot to potentially throw 100 plus innings see how the stuff holds up over that and then make the determination from there yeah, I was going to make a joke about the Arizona Fall League being blacked out, but I feel like that joke's kind of overplayed <laughs> now with MLB and all the streaming rates, even though, you know, they're now partnering with every streaming service available and we're still getting games blacked out, but that's a different discussion. Yeah. Looking at the farm system as a whole, who's your kind of, when I say dark horse prospect, I don't mean necessarily he's going to be the best, you know, nobody's talking, uh, nor, uh, not necessarily the best in, you know, all this stuff, but who's someone nobody's talking about that you can see making a legitimate impact for the MLB level? Uh, eventually or this year? Eventually. I mean, it could be this year, but just at some point, maybe like someone outside of the top 10 currently. Okay. Yeah, no, I'll go back to TJ White. I really, really like TJ White. Um, I, I'm big on, on big power guys being only 18. I think you can't necessarily teach power. Like, at a certain point, you either have it or you don't. You can add strength as you go along, but you never see somebody go from a 40-power guy to a 60-power guy. You do sometimes see a 60-power guy go to a 70, and the fact that he is starting his career with that level of slugging ability I think is really, really promising. Like I was saying, the, the Nats are really excited to work with him, um, and you know they're hopeful that they could develop him better than a college program would have. I think he was supposed to go to Indiana. They talked him out of that with a $400,000 bonus. Um, but the fact that it's already built in for him, um, I think is huge. The fact that we know he's going to be a left fielder. So there's not this added pressure of, Oh, are you going to stick in center field? It's like, no, no, no. We know exactly the profile you need to fit. Now let's gear you towards that profile. Let's get a little bit more hitting ability. I think what he showed last year in the Florida complex league was really promising, you know, hitting the ground running slugging 547 there, some strikeout concerns as there are going to be with these young slugging types, but um, getting him in the fifth round last year and potentially turning him into a power slugging corner outfielder is exactly what this Nats system should be doing. Uh, switch hitter, it's going to be 18 all this year. Don't get too like caught up in, in how he does this season, but I think 2023, 2024, he could be taking off and easily be one of the 10 best prospects in the system. I would certainly love that as well. Um, something that is kind of interesting when the league was locked out, everyone was kind of talking about how that was impacting MLB players, but no one really talked about that, how the lockout was impacting the minor league guys that were on the 40-man roster. 
how do you think that's going to impact a lot of these players who basically weren't allowed to have any type of communication whatsoever with their teams, with their developments league wide, not just nationals issue, but like what type of impact could that lockout have on those guys on the 40 man? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot today is kind of like you do a lot on your own. Um, so the idea of, oh, guys who showed up to, to major league camp when the lockout was lifted are going to be behind minor league guys. And I think that's generally been true, but still they were working out on their own. They were pretty well caught up to speed. You know where you're supposed to be basically, you know, midway through March in terms of ramping up. Um, I think we've seen that here in the first couple of days of grapefruit league play that a lot of the guys on the major league side are, are a little bit more caught up than we were expecting. But when you look at somebody like a Gerardo Carrillo, who was acquired from the Dodgers at the trade deadline last year. Um, he's on the 40 man roster right now. He could have spent this off season, you know, getting to know the nationals more them getting to know him more uh, it being kind of a, a learning process together. So the fact that by the t- time spring came, all right, we understand each other. We know, you know, exactly what we expect of you. We know exactly, you know, what you're doing and what you're working on. That was lost. And, and somebody like a Yoana Doan, um, he made his major league debut at the very end of last year was potentially coming into camp to maybe win out a spot, either in the bullpen, maybe in the rotation, at least he's in the discussion and having just introduced himself to major league staff and then having to put all that on hold, I don't think did him any favors. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how that's going to kind of all shake out. It, it definitely was not a positive uh, to have everybody go away for a while like that and not have that discussion. But when you're looking at like, the NAT system in general, I think it was set up. Okay. That, that the top end name guys weren't really a worry. Cavalli's not on the 40 man houses, obviously not on the 40 man Henry Rutledge going down the list. It takes you a while before you get to a 40 man guy. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see how this is going to kind of shake out as we get further into spring. But um, you know, I think a, for the most part, a lot of these guys knew what to be working on when they were on their own at home. And it's been a pretty quick catch-up session uh, down there in West Palm since. Makes sense. Uh, I did want to ask you, obviously, you know, you knew it was coming uh, about two of the guys that are on the 40-man and probably the the two headliners from the trade deadline sale. And that's obviously Josiah Gray and Kiber Ruiz. What are some realistic expectations for them? Because I know everyone's talking about, you know, rookie of the year for Kiber and, and, you know, Josiah Gray is going to be our ace and all this stuff, but what they're still so green, you know, when it comes to major league experience, what's some realistic expectations you think for them? Yeah. I I mean, that's, that's the thing. I go back to what I was saying before. Like I think at best Josiah Gray can be a three. Um, The stuff has never really been that standout. It's, it was good in the Dodgers system. We had him as a top 100 prospect. It's not necessarily ace potential. Uh, and we saw that last year with him getting hit around in the major leagues like that. Those, those are lumps he had to take. And that's fine. Like it, it's not a huge deal. Uh, I think he can learn from them. And he is like you were saying, he, he's still kind of green. He was a shortstop in college. Uh, he was basically late to the pitching game. Um, but, you know, the Reds saw something. They traded him to the Dodgers. The Nats saw something, too. They acquired him from the Dodgers. Um, so I think he could be a number three. But if you're expecting him to be you know, the next Strasburg, like that's just not going to happen. Or if you're thinking he's going to be a one-for-one replacement to Scherzer, that's absolutely not going to happen. So just expect him to be like a steady contributor to the rotation in the year to come. Maybe somebody who's pitching in an ERA in the high threes 
with about a strikeout an inning. Um, I think any team would kind of take that. If you can get that guy and have him under control for six years, that's a pretty solid start. Um, but just because he's a top 100 prospect doesn't necessarily equate to ace. Ruiz, you, you mentioned there. Uh, Ruiz has always been somebody who's interesting because he's been highly ranked for a very long time, uh, but the Dodgers always pushed him aggressively. He was always very young for every assignment that he got, so the numbers didn't always pop off. They really started to last year in AAA when he was slugging 631, um, and he had 16 homers in 52 games. I don't think he's going to be a 60 slugger by any means. I think he's more of a 50-55 type. But being a switch hitter, being a pretty good defensive catcher, having a strong arm, uh, he makes a lot of contact, which is great to see when those power numbers are taking off. I definitely think he could be a pretty big centerpiece for them. Um, he's not going to be on Soto's level, but you know he's, he's probably somebody who could hit in the middle of the lineup and provide quality defense at catcher. Uh, he's definitely somebody you build around. He's somebody you put into place, like we were saying, he's, he's going to be 23 this year. Um, he's always been pushed aggressively. He's always overcome those challenges. Um, so I I don't know if he'll necessarily be in the rookie of the year conversation by the end of the year. I don't even, I don't think he's rookie eligible. He's not on our list. Uh, he's for not rookie eligible actually. Right. Right. Yeah. I was going to say we bumped him off last year um, just because of, I know he's on some other lists and everybody goes off different eligibility requirements for their prospect list. Um, we had him not on there, but still in terms of being the best young players in the game, I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen this year, but by the time he's age 24, he could be one of the better catchers in the National League. That that's definitely within his wheelhouse. Sorry, I just I just had to take that moment in. I got really, <laughs> I got really excited about that. I, I I don't try to turn like throw out hyperbole. Like I'm not saying he's going to be usurp. You know, JT Realmuto is the best catcher in in the NL East, but still, I we've been talking about his ceiling being that for a very long time. Now he's in the majors. Now he's put it together at AAA. Like the pieces are there for that to happen for him. Got it. So he's the next Buster Posey. <laughs> don't, don't you do that. Don't you cut out this part of the interview. Random question. Are you, because uh, I know we, we talked to some, uh, you know, pipeline guys and just, you know, prospect guys in general. Are you a fan of player comps or do you try to steer clear of that? Thank you for that question. Uh, I am not a fan of player comps. It's one of the things I really struggle with because it always comes down to, well, he's this guy minus slugging right. ability, or he's this guy with the, and what you just end up describing is the guy you're trying to describe. Um, <laughs> every, every player is different. Like how would, what would a Juan Soto comp be? I just, I don't even know what, what, what it could be right now. Um, people try to throw out Ted Williams and, and things of that nature, but like Ted Williams didn't play different positions like Juan Soto did. So now we're already moving things off. It, it just becomes so difficult and it becomes unfair to the player. Um, I will say I asked Cade Cavalli who he thinks his comps are and not to get you guys too excited, but he brought uh, up Cole yep. <laughs> Scherzer and uh, DeGrom. Yep, but that's that's that. more about, <laughs> yeah, that's more about his like own confidence than it is about who he thinks he like, who the rest of us think he should be as a pitcher. It's who he's trying to model himself after, which makes tons of sense. He's a power pitcher. He throws good velocity. He's got a big, strong body. Good for him for trying to go after that. But if somebody asked me who's Cade Cavalli most like, I'm like, I'd rather just tell you what he has and what he's trying to work with. And if you want to formulate something in your brain, that's fine. But um, it just sets up expectations for especially these young guys that sometimes they can't hit. And 
even if they do become successful major leaguers, it's different than the comp you originally threw out. So uh, not a huge fan myself, I guess. Yeah, I think player comps can, you know, get someone in uncomfortable territory. I'm looking at Jason Dominguez, that poor guy. Exactly. Absolute expectations are on him. Um, But we like to end with some more fun questions. I'm going to put you on the spot with my last two questions. So first up, if you had to predict which of the prospects in the top 100 would pan out to have the best career 10 years from now, who are you picking and why is it O'Neill Cruz? <laughs> well, listen, I mean, the reason we do top 100 prospects is to say who we think are going to have the, the best careers, right? Like that. So the ranking we have now, Bobby Wood Jr., number one, Adley Rutschman, two, Julio Rodriguez, three, is how we expect their careers to go and who we expect to be most valuable. So I'm, it's a very boring answer, but I'm just going to say the list as it exists, uh, which you can check out at MLB.com slash pipeline. Uh, O'Neill Cruz was, and my Massachusetts accent is going to come out here in a second, was a wicked difficult one for us to, to kind of place, I think, this year, just because everything we're hearing is that the Pirates like him at shortstop. He can play shortstop. Is it going to happen? Is he going to stick? I, I guess we have to believe it until it doesn't, but his size is crazy. I, I'm sure you guys have seen the highlights of him this spring. Um, just going golfing, it feels like every day, people throwing at his shoes and him still yanking it out to right field. The power is is real. It's great. It's very fun to see. It's just where is he going to play and how is that going to affect things? And, you know, is he going to have enough hit tool to, to provide value there too? But the guy's electric. There's a reason why he's – you know, a top 100 prospect to begin with. And maybe we'll look back. It'll be the tallest shortstop ever, um, the tallest regular shortstop ever. And uh, we'll look back and say, well, maybe we really should have fit him in the top 10. But it's just, there's no, speaking of comps, there's no historical comp for O'Neill Cruz. I, I like that answer. I'm I'm a, I'm an Adley Rutschman fan. I, I think he's going to be special. Just the Orioles need to call him up. But not to... You know, toot my own horn, horn here, but I did a Pirates franchise in the show and moved Cruz to right field. So maybe they should call me. I don't know. It worked, <laughs> out, it worked out pretty well. I mean, putting a guy with a really strong arm and who can really slug in right field. Yes, that's that seems like a winning strategy. I know Fernando ball. Tatis. <laughs> <laughs> and then last question for you. Who are your early AL and NL rookie of the year predictions for this season? Ooh. Ooh, okay. Um, AL, I'm going to go with Bobby Wood Jr. Um, I think he's just going to be ready day one. I, I've said this over and over and over on our podcast, in my writing. I think he's a real 30-30 threat. Um, I, I love the way he grew into the game last year at AA and AAA. You look at him, he was obviously young for both of those levels, and there was so much hype coming into the year. But he really did get better by the end of the season than he was at the, the ending of the season, or the beginning of the season, rather. Um, so even if he stumbles a little bit out of the gate in Kansas city, and I hope, you know, they're really, they're certainly setting him up to be their opening day, third baseman. Um, but if he has two bad weeks, nobody learns better than he does and adjusts on the fly. Um, so I think Bobby Wood jr. It's a boring pick, but he's going to be my AL pick. NL is more difficult. Just like we were talking about this the other day, our top eight prospects are AL guys. Uh, you have to go kind of a ways down to find somebody in the NL. Hmm. This might, might be a little bit boring too, but I could kind of see it working out. I'm going to go with Nolan Gorman of the St. Louis Cardinals. 
Love it. I was gonna I was gonna say take your time because this directly affects my FanDuel bet. So oh no, uh, yeah. <laughs> no I'm just I'm messing with you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put pressure on me like that. Um, yeah, no, I mean like here's why I say Nolan Gorman because Nolan Gorman they have crafted a spot for right like. They acquired Nolan Arenado. They immediately, they being the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, they immediately turned to, to Gorman and say, hey, we want you to be a second baseman. You're not going to unthrone the other Nolan at third base. From what I've heard, what I saw a little bit at, at the AFL last year, he's okay at second base. Um, Jose Akendo, a big minor league instructor for them, really focuses on the infield, thinks he can be above average at that position. We'll see if that happens, but the bat's definitely going to play. Um, he's only 21 now. The Cardinals have pushed him everywhere he's gone. He got a big chunk of AAA time last year. And, you know, again, they just have that spot kind of ready and waiting for him. Uh, and when you look at the rest of the NL field, it's kind of tougher to say who's definitely going to be that guy. Maybe it's a Joey Bart. Like maybe he turns things around. I know we as a group are much higher on him than some other orgs, but Nolan Gorman's power is very real. Um, the Cardinals, seem to have a way of bringing guys up and making them effective very quickly and, and knowing when to call them up. Um, so I think there are some pieces there for Nolan Gorman to be a, to be a candidate, at least in the NL. Yeah. Nolan, I'm a big fan of his mainly because when all the max rumors started yep. last year, <laughs> I, I wanted the Cardinals to trade for him just so the Nats could get Nolan. So that <laughs> I, I like those two picks. I, I didn't realize how heavy, the ale was in the prospects. I like literally pull up the list when you said that. Yeah. I mean, AL's that's the thing is that for years, I, w- I would much rather talk about the AL. Like I could go six <laughs> deep on that. We could be talking about Torkelson versus green. We could talk about when is Julio Rodriguez going to come up. I know Adley's hurt now, but like he's definitely going to get enough playing time in Baltimore to be a rookie of the year consideration by year's end. Like that, that race is going to be a lot of fun. The NL might be a little bit drier, but who knows? I mean, it, they're guys surprise all the time. We didn't have Jonathan India as a as a candidate going yep, into very last random. Year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Sam, thanks so much for coming on and joining us. Say that was a wicked great interview. <laughs> I knew that was gonna come back around <laughs> <on me. laughs> Had to do it. <laughs> you guys can follow him on Twitter at Sam Dykstra M-I-L-B. And make sure you guys head on over to MLB Pipeline's website and MILB.com to keep up with all minor league news and keep up with everything prospects as there's some pretty good prospects in baseball right now. So it's a good time. Sam, once again, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure talking with you. Yeah, anytime, guys. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Sam. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls, so that's the commentator who has to cause this past the wall to see you later. Let's go, Nats. We've got a game to play. We're gonna win today. Let's go. By the early light of dawn, well, you can see they're running scared. Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air. Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look. Cause we're putting curly W's in every book. 
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.